0: All right, we are rolling now, counting us down, three, two... You're listening
1: to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether we movies, music, books television spoken word experiences things that have built us up as people we hope that in sharing them they build you we are the retrospective that is introspective that was
1: delicious hell yes. yeah it. Eat it that was like nutella because it's soft and uh-huh. it's like smooth right right and a little nutty little and creamy and and whatnot you can spread it over bread easily
0: Ooh yeah yeah um and <laughs> today, uh, we are joined by a good friend, Drake Cummings. Yo, 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 welcome. Hey. Hello, everyone. Thank you
2: very much for having me on. This is my first time on the Missing Out podcast, but I am familiar with it. Uh, you guys were just uh, guests on our podcast over at the People's Collective. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I am uh, one of the, the main people over there who have not
0: appeared on this podcast yet, and I wanted to rectify that, so... Yeah, here I am. We're glad to have you. Yeah. Uh, you brought in the 2008 movie Blind Spotting. 2018. What did I say? 2008. 2008. I do that every time, <laughs> and I hate myself for it. Um, whatever. Time is is it's all an abstract <laughs> concept. <laughs> Um sorry guys I was referring to when it was written <laughs> when it was, um no 10 years uh, 10 months was the difference yeah totally um no uh blind spotting uh which was created by David Diggs and Rafael Casal um was which w- was actually Written in like two thousand nine, um, that's when production started, and then they uh, didn't get it off the ground until two thousand didn't start until they could start uh, filming in two thousand
2: and seventeen. Whoa, I did not know
0: that. I didn't know they were trying to make this movie for ten years. Yeah, well, uh, the the background is the one of the producers uh, approached Raphael and really liked his poetry and was trying to find a way to. Uh, integrate that style or that enhanced language, as they call it, into a more cinematic platform. And so they approached him, and he was like, Oh, also, I have this really good friend. His name is Davi Diggs. And this was before Davi Diggs was Davi Diggs. Right. Um, So uh, they got together and like David will tell this story about how they were just kind of pretending that they knew what they were doing and they'd be going to these meetings and being like, yeah, 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 we have a hotel room, but they're sleeping in their cars and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we totally know how to write stuff. And uh, the producers were being very generous about it and being like, maybe you should read these things. Maybe you should read some scripts that we like and maybe it'll help you. Um, So that was really cool. Um, but, yeah, this uh, this was directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada. This was his first feature film. Uh, he had worked with uh, David and Rafael on music videos. That is wild. I did not know
2: any of that background information. <laughs> I love that I learned something. Do, do all the guests learn something about the thing they bring? Uh. Occasionally, they learn something about themselves. That's true. I mean, that's what we hope, you know? You know.
0: That's the goal.
2: It's, it's pretty wild that the... This was like, they've been doing this since before any of them really had careers. And, like, this is like the first movie they've made. Uh, and it's incredible. Like, yeah. This
0: blows my mind how good it is, considering this was his first go at it. Yeah, so. it's crazy. But, like, so what exactly made you decide to bring it onto this show? Like, what about it speaks to you? So, to get that story, we have to go back a little ways back okay. to
2: a whole 10 months ago when. Movie Pass was the saving grace of cinema.
1: I I saw quite a few <laughs> movies I might not have made it to the theater to see because of Movie
2: Pass. Right, yeah. Movie Pass was great like not that long ago. Uh it used to be unlimited movies, any showtime, basically any theater, 10 bucks a month. Uh so I saw a lot of movies in uh 2018 uh that i probably would not have seen otherwise and this is one of them because there's so many indie movies that come out that like i see a trailer and i'm like oh that looks cool but like if you stack up all the indie movies that looks cool that comes out like it's like 50 bucks a month right so with movie pass i got to see a lot more of those indie movies uh, more frequently because you know this is five at afternoon free i can go see it and blind spotting was just one of those things i like knew nothing about going into i was just like this l- i think i heard like something about some uh Film festival that it, you know, it did well at, and I was like, cool, I'll I'll see it. I I like that actor. I liked, actually, I don't know that actor from Hamilton, which is where I think most people know him from. I know him from the HBO mockumentary, um, uh, Tour de Pharmacy.
0: Oh, he plays in that,
2: yeah, he plays a comedy role in that. So it's the only other thing I'd seen to be digs in, and um, I was like, yeah, I liked him in that. This seems cool, it's a new movie, let me check it out. And then I walked out of that movie. Uh, being like, I just saw the picture of the year. Like I saw the best movie that came out this year for sure. And like one of my favorite movies of all time, like just like that. I was like, that's such a cool surprise that, you know, I just walked in this movie and knew nothing about it and came out like with a new favorite movie. Yeah. Um, it blows my mind that this did not appear in the Academy Awards whatsoever. To me, it is still absolutely the best movie of last year. Um, it's it's criminal. Like I don't know how you know.
0: Academy Awards has their quotas. They're like, damn, Oscars eating too black. We can't get we can't let these Oakland motherfuckers in here. We already got one movie featuring Oakland. We can't get two. Um, Yeah, they have to to choose their Oakland movies. (laughs) Um, all right. So if you had to uh, pitch this to someone, uh, hadn't heard a single thing about it, didn't listen to the last ten minutes where we were like, oh, it's so great. Mm -hmm. Um, how would you pitch it? Right. So I think, yeah, and
2: I think why this movie resonates so much with me, uh, is I I love like every story's basically been done already, right? Like it's so hard to have a wholly original concept. That's why like in pitch meetings in this town, like you have to pitch something by comparing it to like two other things. Mm-hmm. Like and that's just kind of expected that like stories are basically going to follow the same structures. Um, and so where, where stories really shine nowadays and where like you can really create something interesting is like going into characters. Like how because people are all individuals. like they're all different and everyone's background is different and stuff. And so it's about telling a story about people that you just like you believe and empathize with those characters so drastically. and this movie does it so well. And then even though there's maybe similar movies that you know you could compare this to, I think what this movie does with plot structure, is incredibly interesting because it's so rare nowadays I'll watch a movie that I don't know what's going to happen. Like, it's to some idea. Like, I had no idea how this movie was going to end. There's multiple inflection points in this movie where I'm just like, I it could go either way. I'm really not sure. And that's why I'm nervous. And that's something else this movie did that, like, most other movies can't do, is made me
1: nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, it's got one of the most stressful scenes that I've, I think, I've ever seen in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
2: I would say it's got a couple of those and like they're all so stressful because like the movie really makes you believe that anything can happen and it would make so much sense with the story. Uh, and so because of that unorthodox plot structure and because of, um, you know, the way it makes you empathize with, with its characters, um, it just really resonates. I uh, I don't have a similar experience to any of the characters in this movie. My upbringing was very different. Um, I grew up on like the other side of the country, like, and, you know, and so where are you from? Uh, so I was born in Florida, but I, I spent most of my formative years in South Carolina. Where in Florida? Okay. Uh, I was born in Orlando, Florida. Okay. And then I went through middle school and high school in South Carolina, Spartanburg, South Carolina. All right. Then I went back to Orlando for college. Um, but yeah, my, my upbringing is and my experiences in experiences and like the towns I'm from are nothing like anything these characters are from. And like, that's what's so interesting about it to me is that like, it gives me a window into a life that I don't know and like makes me care that like makes me care as deeply about it as a personal issue. And that's like, that's incredible. And I think that's what, you know, that's the power of movies, films and media and stuff is to help us as people emphasize and understand walks of life and problems that we don't go through every day. Um, And this is such a good job at doing that. I think a lot of movies of its same ilk uh, come off to the vast majority of people as preachy Mm -hmm. or like that. They're trying to get a message, you know, over your head, even if they have to beat you with it. And um, this movie definitely has a strong message, but I f- never feel like it's lecturing me. Right. Which is an incredibly hard wire to balance on. You'd think it'd be easier, but I think it's actually, nuance is so difficult. So And right. the way
1: this movie balances tones and shifts from one tone, like one second this movie is funny and it's got you almost doubled over, the next second it takes a hard left and some real intense shit is going down and you genuinely have invested in these characters and you're feeling it along with them, and it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like any of those hard turns are there for shock value, and it's incredible how they weave that thread, because that's insanely hard to balance extreme tones that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Drake, I want to like second every single thing you're saying, and then for me, like on top of it, I caught this thing in a theater too, and I had heard a little bit about it before I saw it, so I knew more or less, very generally, the ideas, the big themes that it was going to be dealing with walked out of that movie and uh, went to, I I saw with my girlfriend and we went to get drinks afterwards and we sat there talking about it for like half an hour really intensely before I think she stopped and pointed out that we were talking about these characters as if they were real people that we knew we had invested in them so fully uh, in only about an hour and a half. That's, staggeringly impressive to yeah, me
2: because it's a relatively short movie like in the grand scheme of movies like an hour and a half is not a lot of time to really, right and it packs you know.
1: so much into that hour and a half yeah there's a lot of plotty stuff but you also get a, a number of insanely well-developed characters you get all of these tones you get uh, this movie's packed full of really big uh, timely ideas and it never feels like anything is getting shortchanged. It never feels like, like, Drake, like you said, like, it never feels like you're being hit over the head with any of it. It's really impressive.
2: Yeah. Um, one thing I, I just wanted to double back on what you're saying about the comedy, because I didn't think to bring that up, but that's so right. Uh, this movie is funny and dramatic at the same time. And most movies that try and do that suffer from a literary term called bathos. Are you guys familiar with what bathos is? Lay it out. It is a, um, I didn't know there was a word for this. This bothered me for years until I found out there's actual term for this. It is when a dramatic or serious scene is undercut by comedy. Okay. So whereas, you know, if it's written correctly, you know, comedy should complement the, you know, the polar opposite uh, themes when those come around. But if you stack them too close together, then they just diminish each other. Right. So, um, you know, like if, they were in like the serious scene of the movie and then someone just came out with a with a joke. It's like that is inappropriate in this context, and you just diminish all the tension because you slipped a joke in there when it didn't need to be there. I don't want to name names, but there's like a lot of movies recently, especially like action movies and stuff, that really rely heavily on Bathos, and I think it's because they're afraid to believe in the emotions that the dramatic scenes are supposed to be eliciting. Mm-hmm. And this movie believes in itself. You're, there is no wasted scene. Every scene in this movie is deliberate and every line in this movie like, points back to something else. Like They wasted nothing.
1: I, I think there really is something to what you just said about uh, certain, certain writers writing a certain way because, like you say, you, you describe it as it's a lack of commitment to the emotion of the scene. I almost feel like it's a response to the way a lot of audiences respond to earnestness. Um, we, Tari and I, we've talked about this, not super recently, but we've talked frequently about like how, um, what a lot of people will refer to as cheesiness, right? They're mistaking earnestness for that because people, I think we're, I think we're transitioning out of this phase, but from the nineties till about a second ago, everything was like cynicism and ignore, shy away from the emotions because the emotions are, you know, it's, it's just too much. It's it's ridiculous, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think hopefully societally we're starting to transition away from that. Yeah. But I do think there are a lot of audiences for whom earnestness makes them a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe makes them feel a little too vulnerable sitting there watching this, yeah. this commitment oh, to sure. emotion. So this movie is so fucking earnest in a way that... I I cannot imagine it alienating anybody because every moment is so connected to that reality. Every moment is so connected to character. And these guys are so easy to empathize with, as are the people in their spheres. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it can be that crazy earnest and then commit fully to the emotion and pivot, do heel turn pivots between one tone and the other without, without the comedy undercutting the drama or vice versa. It, it, i'm impressed by this is that not was that not clear
0: no i had i didn't wasn't picking that up yeah. like
1: it's it's an insanely hard thing yeah. to do that effectively at, at all let alone that effectively
0: yeah and kind of piggybacking off of everything you guys are saying because i wholeheartedly agree but uh just stack on top of it you were talking about how this is a very character oriented story and i think that like in addition to the characters that you're following you get a chance to have for the first time that i've seen oakland as a as a character like everyone talks about how in things that are set in New York like New York is the you know the extra cast member ha <laughs> ha you know mm-hmm. New York is 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 one of the one of the characters you're following <laughs> um but you never get that for Oakland typically Oakland is painted as a dangerous gangster harsh place um where you never get all the shades of positivity and negativity whereas this one is embracing every aspect and and also doubling down on how much It's changing in that, like, yes, that perception of how dangerous it was um, has kind of ruled over Oakland for many, many years. But also, its transition into a more gentrified state isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, So you get to kind of see it wade through those gray areas, um, which I really liked. Yes, exactly. I noticed that. uh, I rewatched the movie this
2: morning in preparation for this podcast, and I noticed that. Because I had actually forgotten how like much Oakland really was a character in this until I rewatched and I saw the opening is all about Oakland. Mm-hmm. The opening just established it's like split frame. On one side it's the old Oakland, on the no- other side it's the new Oakland, and it's kind of juxtaposing and comparing. You know, one side there's like. You know, somebody riding his bike, like, doing a wheelie, and on the other side, there's, like, some weird hipster on his, like, tall bike that, like, makes
0: no sense. (laughs) It's, like, you know, the same, but different. yeah. Um, Which is crazy. I feel like now we should kind of drop down the spoiler wall because... I really want to get into the nitty gritty of this movie. So um, if you've listened this far and you're like, damn, that sounds like a great movie. I hope I don't get spoiled. Well, this is me ramping up to dropping down that spoiler wall and giving you a chance to really like take a pause and uh, think about whether you want to be spoiled and I'm also going to tell you that it's available online. You can find it digitally or on Blu-ray or DVD. Um, I watched it on Amazon uh, streaming, and I rented it. Uh, So it's available. Highly suggest it. Watch it uh, because Uh, it's worth your time.
1: Yeah, Drake, you referred to it as your favorite movie of all time. At the very least, I believe it was far and away one of the best movies released last year.
2: Yes. uh, Best movie last year, it's among my favorites. I don't know that I would crown is king but it's in the running for like, me for sure. for,
1: i've literally now only seen it the two times but i feel like this is a movie that i could watch over and over and over again and maybe maybe it could get there but i said it's too new the relationship right, yeah new. i've been hurt before yeah, true. I, yeah you know you really got
2: a lot of process you know there's some some things i thought were my favorite that kind of fade over time there's other things that have
0: grown over time so but it's in that conversation for me at least yeah it's true i was like man American Pie should have won movie of the year, and everyone was like, American Pie, son? And I was like, yeah, that's it. No, it's not it. Guys, never won any awards. Oh, man. I've never seen American Pie. I <laughs> John go-
1: William Scott was this close to a best supporting actor nomination. It's but true. Politics.
0: I know. I mean, uh, that guy had to have sex with a pie. No, that's, like, that was the other guy. I know, but like the other... I, I don't care about Sean Patrick. I only care about <laughs> Jason Biggs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, the pie uh, almost got <laughs> the Best Supporting Actor,
0: too. It won something at the MTV Movie Awards, I but those think, don't yeah, count.
1: Yeah, no. yeah. But, but it was like... It was this close to getting that nomination, and if it got nominated, that pie would have won. And it had even less screen time than... Judy Dench in Shakespeare and Love, and I think she won that Academy Award. So I think she felt a little threatened. And when people got word that like, ah, oh, Dame Judy doesn't want this pie step in two, it just it killed the whole thing. It just, that's she didn't even have to do anything. They knew what she wanted though. Like that's the genius of Judy Dench. She could she could let you know what she wants without ever asking for anything. Mm-hmm. That's why she wins those awards.
0: It's true. Also, it's she's, all a politic she's, uh, game.
1: She's also good at acting. <laughs>
0: She's quite a dame. Ah, uh, uh, no. yeah. No, you, you guys get it. You killed it. You get it. You, get it. you killed it. Right.
1: Why'd you shoot it? It was so pure.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, all right. So the spoiler <laughs> wall is down, and we yeah. are now going to talk specifics.
1: We should, I feel, roughly outline what the story of this movie is okay. for context. K-
2: well, quick question before we do that. Did you guys cry in this
0: movie? Um, I didn't cry. I don't know. I don't think that there were any moments that I would have, like, drawn a sad point from. There were a lot of, like, very tense moments that I could relate to. Um, and I definitely understood uh, Colin, who was Davi Diggs, uh, his his frustration and his, his lack of outlet and things of that sort. Like, I definitely resonated with those things, but I don't think there was a point where I was like, yo, this make me sad. <laughs> Though I guess today, since I watched it yesterday, there are moments where, like, the sadness I felt when the topics of this movie were very prominent, which is now, but also, like, <laughs> a few years ago, it was very highlighted where every week another black dude was getting shot. Um, I, those feelings start started to bubble up again um, in a not great way. And so, like, that, I think, is the lasting effect of it. But in the moment, I think I was just so engaged with the characters. Okay.
1: Yeah, I don't think tears came out in my case either, but there were a number of points where I felt completely gut punched. Like so I, I was feeling it intensely, but I don't think I don't think there was
2: water. Okay, I cried both times I watched this movie. Okay, The <laughs>
1: first time in the theater,
2: and then the second time, just like this morning at home. Uh, I respect it. Yeah, it's weird. I, I, it's you're right because it's not necessarily any sad parts. Yeah, it's just like. I don't know the things that usually get me the most emotional are the things that like the the emotion that you're supposed to feel is unclear, and
0: I think they're just confusion tears. Yes. Oh, that pie scene <laughs> is gonna fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: I think that the the most like in emotional in any individual moment in the movie that I got was when uh, Sean, who is the son of the second uh, protagonist uh, Ralph, played by Raphael, named mm-hmm. Miles. Um, when his son did the uh, "Don't shoot," like that moment to me, like hit me real hard. Um, Cause like I have, I have nieces, nephews, siblings, things of that sort, who like with like I, uh, I fear for their lives. Like my nephew, um, who am I? Clo- who I'm closest with? He's just turned eighteen. He's like six two, so like, and and he's you know got dreads and shit, so. At any moment, I could get a phone call that's like, yo, you know, he he had some Skittles in his hand and police didn't like it. And so he's dead now. So like that moment when like you teaching this kid as young as I imagine that kid is about like three, four, maybe yeah, five, maybe five um, is having to learn uh, to like throw their hands up and say don't shoot is a very like powerful image. So I would say that that's the most Uh, That's the closest I got to being like, oh, no, my heart hurts, especially
2: because they have to teach him so young that he doesn't even understand it. He still thinks it's a game. Yeah, right. right. So he's learned this very important lesson. And to him, he just doesn't even can't even comprehend the real meaning of this lesson yet. Um, but so wh- I, I cut you off though. What what is this movie about? Like we should explain that. Apologize for derailing this. No, <laughs> uh,
0: the Lex was talking. I don't I don't do recaps, guys. I only talk about specifics. <laughs> uh, so I could recap it, but I won't. Why okay. well, don't one of you guys do it? Okay, I'm right. gonna take a nap.
1: All right. Oh, he's he's leaving.
0: <laughs> oh, he well. just
1: went and sat down. <laughs> Shh, <laughs> All right. So, what's so, this movie about? So, all right. Uh, f- let's see. Following you, you, we're gonna we're gonna tag team this. One. Okay. Following uh, an altercation at his place of employment, Colin is arrested and has to uh, serve minimal time, but big probation yep. period. And he's living at a halfway house. He's got a curfew. He's got to do the chores. He's got to hold down employment. The normal. Yep tenants of probation
2: and the movie takes place in the last three days of his probation so only three more days he has to stay out of trouble and he is tested in those three days uh his ability to stay out of trouble given people he hangs out with and the parts of town he live in and just you know his old life and you know in one way it's a story about breaking cycles Mm -hmm. and uh you know learning and owning up for mistakes and in another way it's also you know a commentary on gentrification uh it's a commentary on police violence against minorities um and like a loss of identity in a rapidly changing world yeah uh it's well put it does it takes on so many complex topics in such a small amount of time it does them all so much justice justice and make them all make sense together like there's a reason all these topics are being discussed in the same movie um so yeah
0: because they all exist like even in in just that small microcosm of Oakland, like those different layers are all, um, you know, confined to that one, like, I don't even remember the the, uh, meter. No, I talk about miles, the mile uh, (laughs) radius of Oakland, but that in and of itself is transposed and and can apply to almost anywhere. Like this could be set in Los Angeles. This could be set in um Detroit, or I don't know. Where's another place? Guam. Houston. <laughs> yep. It could be set yeah. in Guam. Yeah. I want to see the Guam blind spotting. Um, <laughs> Guam spotting. Yeah. But another. Guam-ing? What? Blind Guaming? Uh huh. Guam spotting? Guam spotting. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That rolls off the tongue nicely. It does. Yeah. Ooh, yum, yum, yum. Blind
1: guaming <laughs> sounds sticky.
0: <laughs> All right. I'm going to wrap this up for you guys. So we, <laughs> in that th- three days, one of the big inciting incidents uh, of the movie is when uh, Colin, who is played by Davi Diggs, is witness to a man being shot by a police officer. In the back. Mm-hmm. And as, like, as he's running away, he yells, don't shoot. And uh, he is shot four times in the back uh, while running away. Um, And this leaves a lasting impact on David. He is essentially he has kind of like a post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. like reaction to it. He's dreaming about it. He thinks about it a lot and he's trying to process it and all while staying out of trouble in these last four days or three days. Um, But he's also surrounded by people who don't necessarily understand the the i guess the depth of the situation he's in being on probation uh, david diggs does a really good job of describing it and that it's a trap it's a it's a it's a thing that's designed to put you to give you a, a sense of freedom but ultimately it's designed to put you back in prison mm-hmm. so they give you all these rules that are almost near impossible and you have to be able to like stay out of trouble um, but just talking to a police officer could get you put back in prison. Yeah, And that's the other thing. He is
2: running late to his curfew. And so this murder happens after he's supposed to already be back at the halfway house. So he can't say anything because now it's like a convicted felon is saying a police officer shot somebody and you're not even supposed to be out right now. Yeah, like, right. So what were you doing there? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, it, you know, this a lose-lose situation. That's kind of a point of this movie, too, is like. You know, there's certain people that society has just listed as, you know, the certain type of person, and like they act in this manner and they speak in this manner, and, you know, they're to be believed in this manner and stuff, and, you know, really putting people in boxes. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not always what you look like on the outside. Like him and his friend are a perfect example of, you know, two people who, like, but by, by looking at them, you would probably confuse their personalities. So.
0: Yes, which and is kind of
2: what the party scene is about,
0: right? Um, that's what something I really want to talk about is the relationship between uh, Miles, who is played by Raphael, who is Davi Diggs' best friend. Davi Diggs plays Colin, and their 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 relationship is essentially the same as it was like in their existence, in that they met in high school, and these two guys have known each other since they were young, and so like I really like that juxtaposition of um miles being this what people would perceive someone from oakland to be and colin being uh someone who's trying to transcend that idea um and it comes to a head at a certain point when we get the what i like to call the the inward scene Mm
2: um apt (laughs) yeah
0: yeah. i mean because it's so like i think um so Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, because
2: Miles is a psychopath, right? Like, Miles is this white guy living in Oakland who's always lived in Oakland, and now it's being gentrified, and you see a lot of uh, other white people starting to move into Oakland and kind of, you know, culture vulture a little bit, adapt some of, like, the Oaklandness, but still, like, bring their hipster ways in. And so, from that side looking in, Miles, who has been shaped by the culture of Oakland that he grew up in, is now becoming mistaken for one of these new fake Oaklanders who have moved in and trying to, you know, rep Oakland, but don't really understand the culture behind it. And so he is in a constant fight to like preserve his identity and the identity he felt like he has had growing up in this small area. Um, And so he is fighting to remain the same. Whereas David Diggs is fighting to change his life. Right. And that conflict comes to a head because both of them also have each other's best interest in mind. But their ideas of what the best interest is for the other is the opposite. Right. And so it's one of those stories where it's like, oh, like Ted, like, oh, his friend keeps dragging him down. What's going to happen? But it's done in a way that it's like you're not like you feel for both of them because you understand where both of them are coming from and they're both kind of right in their own way yeah and you just you want both of them to just like you want them both to get what they want both of them getting what they want is the opposite but they sell each other's best interest in mind it's weird because like no one's really at i mean i don't know miles is kind of at fault for a lot of stuff but like you always
1: (laughs) miles is the one starting fights and (laughs) buying guns and whatnot yeah
2: exactly but like you still it's
1: hard to be mad at him because it's like i know why you're doing this right shockingly easy to empathize with given his behavior there's this amazing moment when they're at the house party that's uh, at this the place of this very stereotypical hipster guy uh the moment where he sees miles and points out that they have the same tattoo and you watch miles (laughs) entire worldview just completely shatter in that moment it's it's amazing you know by that time you know exactly what it means both implicitly and explicitly and how like that's I feel like that's really the moment that breaks that dude in the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially because right after that the guy says that he just moved from Portland like a couple months ago. I found my
1: home. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. It's it's rough. Like especially because like in in Oakland and in the Bay like there is a sense of pride. Um I guess I've I've made it this far into the podcast before saying that like I'm from Oakland. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's I was super interesting. When we
1: were going <laughs> to tie that in somehow.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I forgot. I, I forgot that I hadn't mentioned it. Um, so, like, so the things that they um, are talking about and the things that these movies are inspired by, like, I, I, I resonate with them in that, like, this movie was written right after the, um, the Oscar Grant shooting. Oscar Grant was a guy I went to high school with. Um, so it's like that, like there's a a small connection there, but like the, I say all that to say that, like, uh, there is a sense of pride in growing up in Oakland and in the Bay area. Like it's, it's not just, uh, it's not just a place to a lot of those people, uh, who were raised there. It, it is their being, it is, it is a part of their, their just their essence. And so to have, uh, this place essentially being, uh, for lack of a better word, colonized, Um, it really makes you um, question like where you belong. And it really makes you feel like an outsider in your own house. It'd be like if one of you guys came in and were like, yo, I live here. I'm changing how everything looks. And I'm like, no, this is, this is my house guys. And you're like, no, this is for your good. I'm doing this for you. I'm going to make everything here better. And it's like, but I like all this stuff that I have mm-hmm. I grew up in this house um, but that doesn't concern you and you don't understand why I'm as upset by it right and it
2: does such a good job of uh, there's this constant imagery of the oak tree which is mm-hmm. like a big symbol of Oakland and uh, there's this really great parallel between them cutting the oak trees down and seeing the rings of how old it was and stuff and how long it's been there and then seeing it just being turned into coffee tables, a table, yeah, yeah, and it really like it's it's a good connection to the people and like the the police cutting down the people who have been there and the new people moving in or cutting down the people who have been there for so long, uh, like their oak trees, yeah, um, and it's it's pretty powerful when you when you make that connection. Uh, something else that I really like about the movie because this movie does have to do with constant change, is. Um, Uh, Colin's home life is a direct comparison to what is going on in his city. He comes out of his two months in prison and uh, his room's not his room anymore. Uh, His mom is settled into a new life with a stepfather who is not from Oakland. I'd imagine, you know, other people using your old things and stuff in different ways. And it's, uh, it's constant change. And like, he's, you know, fighting to remain who he is while also growing too. Like he can't stay at his own home anymore, but like he kind of shouldn't be staying at his own home anymore. Like he should be moving on uh, too. So it's almost like this change is unwanted, but it is also what's best for him, right? Like, you know, it sucks that like, you know, your room isn't your room anymore, but at some point you have to move on for a better life. So that's also the thing too, because I think gentrification in general is a very tricky topic because while it's bad in a lot of ways and kind of like disrupts the culture and, you know, prices people out of areas and stuff, it's also effective in reducing crime and other things like that, that, you know, generally make an area undesirable to live in. It's, you know, trying to improve the quality of life, but at the same time, it forces people out who aren't ready to change or don't have the means to change. So it's a complicated issue. Ideally, the, you know, environment would be better and the culture would be preserved, but that's never exactly what happened. So it's like a constant fight of like, well, we need new buildings and nicer shops, but we don't want to lose who we are as people.
0: Right. I mean the 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 shitty part about gentrification is that it's not like these these improvements are being made for the for the sake of the people who are already living there. Right. It's, it's to encourage new people
2: to move in. Right. Yeah.
0: It's it's almost like a new form of redlining or segregation in that they are essentially and, and by they, there is no all encompassing. They, it's the just, people who live there. The, right. Well, the people coming in mm-hmm. more specifically are using this, this shift, like you were mentioning that crime goes down and that's because essentially like they are causing people to become homeless and then sweeping those people off of the streets. Um, and so like these improvements happen, but it's At a because cost to a people, yes, um, and it's it's a it's a new way for, you know I don't want to this to be like this is a new way for fucking white people to blur blur blur. blur. But it kind of is. Um I mean it's it's a it's it's more of a class thing than a, a race thing. It's it's more a way for affluent people to try to one steal this land <laughs> try to steal this land because land is one of the most uh precious commodities that you can have that allows you to continue to build wealth um i was listening to a recent discussion about reparations and like why those are important and it's because like black people after slavery were prevented from owning lands and they were prevented from getting loans uh which like if you have this land land only accrues in value over time and so like if you're essentially stealing all this land that is cheap because you've forced everyone who is of lower income to live there and then essentially pricing them out you are um uh, you're essentially uh creating a further burden on these people to the point where like at a certain point they'll have nowhere to go right um and it's a ripple effect of
2: generations of right. not owning land has led to this has led to this has led to this mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, it's um, there's a lot to dig into, and that's just one of the one of the things that this is about. Yeah. Um, uh, now, what was the most tense scene for you guys? Was it uh, when um, I think his name was Sean, the kid? Was it when the kid found the gun? Yeah,
1: that was it for me. Oh, okay, all right. That, okay. Yeah, I remember seeing this for the first time in the theater, mm. and because you Damn. really don't, because it heel turns so quickly and efficiently. From tone to tone, Mm -hmm. you really have no fucking clue what could happen moment to moment. So once they walk into that room and the kid has found the gun and is playing with it, there's a minute there where it's like, oh my god, they're gonna blow. They're gonna make a point here by blowing the little kid away. Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Get that gun away. Oh fuck. And it it like racked me with emotion, dude. Like and watching it again this time, I was struck by how brief that scene is. In my memory, the first time seeing it, it felt like it went on. And I mean this in a good way. It felt like it stretched like crazy because I was so dang tensed out.
0: Yeah, I I get that. Um, I think I had a lot of different tense moments. And a lot of them cycling around that gun. Like, that was one of them. The other one, when... uh, when Colin still had the gun and the police was coming, were coming up and he's walking Uh, home. Yes. Um, or also at the the party, the party (laughs) when he starts, when, uh, Miles starts shooting the gun in the air, like all of those things, like any one of them could have sent him back to jail. And it just heightens this thing because you, you don't want this character to go back to jail. Like he's trying his hardest to make a better life for himself. And, uh, it's like everything is conspiring against him to fail at that.
1: Sidebar, uh, talking about that scene at the party when Miles pulls the gun and starts firing it into the air. Something that always stresses me out in movies. You just fired the gun, you fired a bullet into the sky. So, eventually, that thing is going to come back down at a high velocity. Stop standing right there. Just take two <laughs> steps back, for Christ's sake.
2: Yeah, oh, those they, they hit somewhere. Yeah, it's... It's always terrifying when the characters do that because who knows? Like, some in the back could just like start bleeding. And it's like, oh, that's that's where I landed. Like, now you're a, <laughs> now you're a murderer, Miles. Uh, but who's gonna go down for it? Is it gonna be you or you know, the the
1: easy target? Right. And that's something mm-hmm. that they hit pretty explicitly in this movie too. Like, Miles is the one that keeps getting Colin into trouble. But if the police show up because of who they are assumed to be by. Outsiders or by people that don't actually know who they are, mm-hmm. one of them's more likely to get shot indiscriminately than the other. Right. right. So it's not just the threat of going back to jail. It is an imminent, potentially an imminent mortal threat for Colin to be in these yeah. situations for when this, they escalate to that degree.
2: Right. For this gun to even be around, like, you know, it's it's an unregistered firearm. That's, you know, he can get shot just for having that, like, right. regardless of whether or not it discharged, which it did. So you know ah uh, so crazy yeah like and um and then the scene when the the n-word scene when they're you know having their argument is like also just super tense like i don't know where it's going like you know are the cops gonna at any point like the cops could show up and just see this white guy and this black guy arguing and then one of them's got blood on his mouth like I wonder who did that you right. know like there's so many times where i'm just i'm so afraid that uh he's going to go back to jail or he's going to be dead. And like this movie could have ended that way. And like, it would have made sense. That's why like you never really feel safe. Cause you don't know like how this movie's going to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually ended way happier than I thought it was going to.
0: So yeah. Um, especially cause like, I like, uh, <laughs> like, so, uh, I don't. I'm not sure if you guys know about the like original ending of of Get Out, but it it felt like it was all leading there. So in the original ending of Get Out, like Chris, um, it, Chris who's played by Daniel Kalua, uh, and spoiler for Get Out, I guess, um, <laughs> spoiler for an alternate ending of Get Out, I guess. Um, if you haven't seen it. Go! Oh, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. s- just turn your car to the nearest theater. It's, it's, pr- it's not in theaters anymore, bro. To the, to the nearest, <laughs> nearest theater. <laughs> demand they give you a private showing.
1: They'll be like, "Get security."
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but in, in the alternate ending, uh, Chris gets arrested, and so like he spent he. The last shot is of um, his friend visiting him in jail because he's essentially convicted for um, the crime of killing that family. Um, they, cause you know, police didn't know that that family was trying to replace his brain. They only right. saw. And that um, sounds crazy. Yes. And so I thought, I didn't know if it was heading that way. I didn't know if like, we were going to spend all this time playing, like hanging out with these characters, getting to know and love them. And then at the very end, you know, we're, we're hanging out with, uh, Colin in jail and finally val his his on and off again girlfriend visits him and was like told you to stop hanging out with miles mm-hmm. and it's like great that's real life <laughs> <laughs> yeah yo fuck val though I, I Val. so i i understand the sentiment of being like fuck val but uh but that was until i heard the actress talk about her her feelings about the character and, like, what the unspoken motivation was. Um, and it's that that character is the daughter of immigrants. And so one thing that immigrants... F- or, like, second-generation uh, children feel is this responsibility to make the best of the sacrifices that their parents have made. And so... She's trying to apply that same logic to Colin, who is still kind of stuck in his ways because he is a an Oakland native. And so he's trying to stick to his roots where she's trying to uh, make a better life in order to put down roots. Right. Um, So, like, I I totally get it. I like because in in the movie, she just feels like kind of a nagging ex who who won't like get off of Colin's case, even though he's trying but like when you have that extra little bit of connotation and it's all there like she's she's actively like going to school and trying to better herself and like you get that she still has feelings for and she cares about him like she's the one who got him the job at the moving place so like you you get why she's trying to push him but you also get why like he's resisting
2: right yeah and i do get that um uh, and man how powerful was scene 2 when the guy was describing the fight that landed him in jail in the first place and <laughs> right it's... and
1: a perfect example of how insanely well this movie can juxtapose and balance tones right because the story itself is harrowing it's deeply upsetting to watch what happened that landed Colin in jail and equally devastating to see the look on colin's face as he has to sit there stand there and listen to this guy drag him through what turned out to be probably the worst experience of his entire life right but at the same time the way this dude is telling the story is very very pointedly comical right Mm -hmm. because he tells it like you
2: would tell your friend about this crazy thing you just saw and, like, it's, yeah, it's accurate and also disturbing at the same time. At,
1: at a certain yeah. point, it really feels like he's not even telling the story to his friend anymore. It really feels like he's just telling the story to Colin. you like, you remember this fucked up bullshit you did? I bet you do, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Yeah,
2: I think at one point he was like, yeah, I was there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I my favorite part of that bit was the different names that he kept calling the hipster who had the Scorpion bowl <laughs> Topher Grace. Yeah crazy uh, like Jason Biggs. <laughs> face. Um it it was great. It reminded me of um, uh, ooh what's the what's the actor's name? From Ant Man, who tells the fun, whimsical stories, oh, Michael <laughs> Pena. Michael Pena. It reminds yeah. me of when Michael Pena tells a story in Ant Man, a little bit because you do the dubbing over too, right? The, yeah. the person telling the story <laughs> over the characters moving their mouths. Yeah.
1: Um. But so again, like the the way they balance tone in that sequence is insanely impressive because while you're bouncing back and forth from the, the way the story is being told to Colin's reaction to uh uh the actual like you see the fight. It's super dark, told in a comedic way. But while you're getting these overdubs from from this this guy who's telling the story in a really excited comical way, you then see the reality of like how badly they did. Be and this guy was an asshole. Like somebody probably should have like smacked him open palm. Uh, <laughs> but, right, of course. But they really, I mean, they lay into this guy. And given given the subject matter that this movie deals with, I thought it was a very interesting choice to have the guy say, I can't breathe while they're beating on him. Yeah. While he's on fire. While he's on and, fire. and Miles just like keeps
2: kicking him even after like he's on fire and, you know, the other one stopped. Like he just, he keeps going in and this foreshadows him losing it on the guy at the party in the next one, because Miles just cannot stand the idea of being disrespected mm-hmm. or being confused, you know, for a hipster. And like, so he, he hates them so much. Uh, that he just like he just almost blacks out when he like goes in on this. And you can see in his face in that second fight where like it's like I
0: don't even know if anyone's home right now. Or you're just operating on pure rage autopilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's that that hood mentality of like showing how like manly and you ain't supposed to be messed with and all that stuff. Like though, I will say that Miles right before he started kicking that dude said the the greatest line I've ever heard. it was like. <laughs> you better get out of here before some real town shit happened to you. And I was like, yeah, I, I know that. I know that. feeling. That's, that's, that's good. Yeah. I, I'm going to use that. <laughs> some real town shit. Indeed. De Bruh. I'm just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm telling you yeah. that's how it goes. Um, anyways. Um, but yeah, I, I forgot what we were even talking about. Well, I'm we, still stuck on that
2: line. Yeah. We got to talk about the final scene, like the climax of this movie. When he comes face to face with the man who he saw murder someone in front of his eyes,
1: and you get this incredibly searing monologue that's all delivered as freestyle verse. Yes, which is which is again like it's so. We we were doing things a little bit more lightly in the moments just before that, and they realize that they're moving stuff out of the home of that police officer. And at a certain point, it's like Colin just just breaks, like he does. He reaches his breaking point, and he pulls a gun on this cop, and you watch. You see the two of them really looking at each other again, and the cop recognizes mm-hmm. him because the, the night that the shooting happened, Colin's sitting right there in the van, they have a moment where they lock eyes. Right. And you, you see this look on the officer's face that almost looks like an immediate post-traumatic stress response. And you see this guy who is actively dealing with the weight of his actions— and so so much so that he has to move his family out of that neighborhood because of the fairly legitimate concern that somebody is going to be upset about what he did. Right. Um we yeah, we got to talk about about the monologue uh itself but there's this incredible fucking moment when Colin finishes cuz the the is silent the entire time. Um when Colin finishes he basically drops the mic just shoves the gun back at miles walks out and finally the the officer not even looking at miles just just says uh, almost almost a little quiet like I, I didn't mean to and miles asks him are you sure and he doesn't answer because he can't
2: yeah yeah fuck whoa and it's yeah it's the first time that those two have been on opposite ends of this scenario you know the the cop is in the position of the minorities in which he has you know terrorized you know you might say up to this point and now you know colin is in this position where he has the power over this other person who usually dictates his life to you know whether he goes to prison or dies or any of that um and the you're right you said the whole thing was delivered in freestyle rap which should be absurd it should be ridiculous and like corny and not make sense, but the way this movie has been structured up till now, it gets you used to the idea of them expressing their emotions in rap form because him and Miles do it throughout the movie a little bit like when they're like walking on the street or they're talking about getting money or they're talking about their job or their dreams, like they do it in this freestyle form. And so you kinda get the feeling that maybe these guys are more comfortable expressing their feelings In song form because growing up in like such a hard environment if you're not you know you're expected to be tough and then songs are maybe like and rapping is like the one outlet you can have where you can be honest with yourself right so right, it's, where you can
1: embrace that earnestness that makes a lot of people so uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, and a Miles said earlier when he was selling the boat, he was like, you know, you just, people will remember more if you say it in a flashy way. Mm-hmm. And so it's just laying the groundwork for that.
1: And I actually think that's a, an apt way to describe pretty much all of the dialogue in this movie. This script is incredible, both <laughs> both in terms of its structure, in terms of all the ideas that it packs in, but also in terms of like every line of dialogue in this thing feels. Very intentional, very thought through, and and almost lyrical in in themselves. Uh, we talked about... It was last week. I have no concept of time.
0: It's fine. Last week time we is talked a construct.
1: About, well, there you go. Last week, uh, we talked about His Girl Friday, I believe, which is one of my favorite talkie movies yeah. ever. Uh, I believe I compared it to Sorkin. You compared it to something. I was here. Gilmore at Girls. <laughs> That's the one. Yep. Um, but this very quickly... Is becoming one of my preferred, uh, let's call them talky films, in terms of in terms of the way the dialogue is constructed and delivered. And of course, it makes a lot of sense that you've got these two guys who are clearly great actors. Who's who's going to understand those words better than the guys that wrote it, better than the guys that that lived it to a large extent, right? Um, so yeah, just the the setup and the execution of the way each each scene is structured, dialogue wise, and the interplay between the two characters and how. In their conversations, their inane conversations about whatever, whatever piddling thing they happen to be talking about at work to kill time, you get so much of a sense of history and familiarity with the two of them. And it's like, that's why the the way the movie ultimately ends, it ends with things both changing and remaining the same, right? Like, uh, ordinarily, uh, when he picks up Miles, Colin might have come inside, said hey to everybody, maybe have breakfast, but he says, no, I'm cool out here. Like a conscious decision has been made to break at least an element of that cycle, but then you see they get into the van. Their dynamic has shifted, right? So he Miles is now driving. Uh, <laughs> Colin that day is the one who's waving guns around and shit. Um, <laughs> but their interplay is still is still the same. It's that sense of friendship, that sense of familiarity, that sense of I think they would both balk at the term being used. But yes, a sense of love. Um, that's still there. Um, There's a moment earlier in the movie, and I think the first time I saw the movie, it took me a couple of minutes to be like, what was this scene about? But it's the scene with Wayne Knight where they're moving uh, stuff out of his art gallery. Yeah. And that's where they really, I think, uh, highlight for the first time the idea of the oak trees because part of his like uh, recent series of, of pieces uh, was he takes he, like uh, overlays oak trees uh, that used to be there over the areas in Oakland where they used to be. Right. Um, which, again, we talked about that metaphor mm-hmm. a little bit earlier. But there's a, a moment where he has them stand face to face and he tells them to really look at each other. And they immediately, they, it makes them uncomfortable. Like, and, and it plays in the moment, like, you know, it's a it's a masculine front, like, oh, I don't want to look too deeply into the eyes of another man. Come on. But it genuinely, immediately, before they even start to unpack any of what's happening with their dynamic, looking at each other and seeing, not just, not just seeing the other, but also seeing elements of yourself reflected in a way that might make you question things in a way that you're not totally ready for. Mm. Uh, I thought that moment was really interesting and it didn't didn't sink in fully into my mind until I watched it this time. Right. Yeah.
2: I think same. Cause that moment in a way is what this whole movie is about. Yep. It's about looking at, you know, people who aren't necessarily the same as you and like feeling, feeling what they're feeling and empathizing with them. Right. And that's, way.
1: that's what the title of the movie refers to, right? It's like Val is, Val is studying and she's trying to come up with uh, slang terms. Like as a mnemonic device to help her remember certain things. Yeah. And that's where the term blind spotting comes from. The idea of being right. You, when you look at somebody, You see what you see first instinctually, but that may not be, in fact, is almost certainly not all there is to them. But you are seeing the thing that your instinct tells you to see first. So that other thing that is there that you're not seeing, that's the blind spot. And every single character in this movie you could say that about. Just like, uh, weird, right? Everyone in life, too weird super weird
0: <laughs> what are you sure super weird <laughs> i don't think so
1: bizarre yeah. <laughs> now it's pretty much used i'm no. all i'm all surface i'm all oh yeah, there's yeah. No, i am exactly what <laughs>
0: lex michael yeah. is like the earth flat <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. uh, no guys i don't believe that please don't please don't text me please don't please don't <laughs> I, send me i
1: know me what mail. my instinct is telling me to see first
0: now <laughs> <laughs> um I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um a little background um on the lyricism in the movie. Um when they were first first approached, uh, I was looking up the name. Uh the producer uh, Jessica Calder, uh she wanted to find a way to uh have they say in in musicals when a person has reached the point of emotion that words won't suffice. They break out into song. And she wanted to find a way to capture that, but with hip hop or or poetry or or lyricism. Um, And so uh, that's how this whole project got started. And they took a poem by um, Raphael and wanted to find a way to integrate that into the movie. And in doing so, they decided to kind of intersperse uh, the what they call enhanced language throughout, and so you get that dream sequence, which I thought was probably one of my favorite parts of mm-hmm. the movie, where uh, he's he's uh, in front of a jury of his peers, which are just other black people who you assume have already died, and he's spitting up all these bullets, and and uh, Raphael is doing his like rap verse and things of that sort, and you get those music video direction sensibilities from like. Uh, Carlos Lopez Estrada who started in that arena um, but you get those seated throughout so that uh, it makes sense when it ultimately is uh, expressed at that end climactic moment in the same way that like if you compare it to Hamilton you get three or no you get two duels before the final duel just to get you adjusted to the idea that like people settle things by shooting at each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, right. So yeah. Um, guys, what are your final thoughts before we head out? Um, this movie, uh, was important
2: for me to bring to this podcast because, uh, from what I understand about the spirit of this podcast, it's about bringing something to people that they probably would have missed otherwise. I think a lot of people probably missed Blindspot when it came out. It was an indie movie on a smaller budget. Probably got a more limited release than some other movies. Got no love at the Academy Awards, despite the fact that it absolutely should have. Uh, probably due to the fact that they didn't run a big Oscar campaign because they probably didn't have the money to like run an Oscar campaign like a lot of the big movies did. Right. That's and, often why you see a lot of smaller movies get overlooked. Right. And so I just... I want... I've been trying to get everyone, ever since seeing this movie, I've been trying to get everyone I know to watch it, and unsuccessfully. Um, I was uh, just up uh, with my friends, uh, the rest of the People's Collective this weekend, working on some uh, projects that we're working on. And the whole weekend, I was trying to get us to take an hour and a half break at any point during the weekend to watch (laughs) Blind Spotting. And they're like, Drake, I'm sure it's good. We'll watch it, but we really got to work. I'm like, ah, I know you're not wrong, but I really want you to see this. And I think, you know, a lot of people nowadays are hyperbolic about a lot of things like, oh, you really got to see this show. You really got to see this movie. Um,
0: But like, you really got to see this one. Yeah. (laughs) Next time, if you try to get someone to see it, be like, yo, if you was a real hood in word, (laughs) you'd watch this movie. And then I think you'd really get them to do it. yeah Yeah.
2: that or do something else to me i don't know
0: (laughs) threaten him with some real town shit yeah
2: i'll threaten him with some real town shit i might avoid the other language right
0: Um, maybe i mean or they'll be like yo this dude risked me stabbing him (laughs) it must be a good movie
2: so yeah it's an hour and a half guys like it's it's worth it like i'm not asking you to watch you know the uncut versions of lord of the rings here like you know this is a small time investment so if you're out there and you have access to see this movie please check it out um, and, you know, support those guys, you know, that's, uh, their first, you know, the first picture that they made together. Like, let's, let's get another movie out of these guys tweet at them. Tell me you like it. Yeah. I, uh, I tweeted at them after I saw it and I was like, yo, I think you guys locked down the Oscar and David Diggs liked my tweet. Oh
1: nice <laughs> I think uh, I think his mother liked one of my tweets about the movie. Oh because I tweeted out and this is uh, Drake I too will not be using epithets when recommending this film to others uh, but I,
0: are I, you sure
1: <laughs> reasonably I, uh, uh, when I first got out of the movie and I, I don't I don't tweet too many things that often, but I felt compelled because I found the thing so powerful I tweeted out. Just saw blind spotting. Holy cow, everyone should see blind spotting. And I guess uh, Mama Diggs liked it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I still feel that way. I think this is a great movie. I think it. The super hacky way to put it would be it's got something for everybody. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> uh, but they, it, there are so many layers to this thing, and there are so many. Fascinating variables and there is such excellent dialogue and the scenarios go from hilarious to heart-wrenching super fast. And again, like you keep hearing me say, it's insanely fucking hard to do what they did with this movie. And especially, Drake, like you said earlier, without making it feel preachy, without making it feel like it's hitting you over the head with its themes bluntly. I think this movie's excellent. Definitely one of the best movies of last year and a movie that I plan to watch again a number of times in the future and also to recommend to as many people as possible
0: cool yeah um yo guys it's it's some real town shit (laughs) um i uh i this was my first time seeing it and i it's it's really sticking with me i think i mentioned earlier that it's it like started to bubble up some feelings that i had not forgotten, but kind of pushed down just to exist on a daily basis. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. It does a really great job of balancing its humor and its its seriousness, which makes it a lot more of a uh, a grounded film. In that it feels real, like in, like Lex was saying, like these characters feel like real people, and you're just spending uh, a day in in their lives or. Specifically, yeah. three days right. in their lives. Um, it it has a very like I would describe uh, a a Friday feel to it. If you've heard our Friday episode, in that like it feels very much like you spend time getting to know the individuals of this community. And, and all of their quirks and all of their really intimacies and their insecurities and their all their flaws and in the same way that you get to know those aspects of the city itself. And I think it's a great exploration of those things while also being entertainment. Um, so that's it, um, guys. Thank you for talking to us about Blindspotting. Yes. Drake, thanks for coming. Thank you guys so much.
2: I've been wanting to talk to anyone else about this movie for like 10 months. And I finally, you guys gave me the opportunity to do that. So it's yeah. been so much fun to talk about this movie.
0: Guys, uh, watch this movie and thank Drake for doing so. Where can <laughs> they thank you? Uh,
2: they can thank me on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, my Instagram is at Drake Cummings. and My Twitter is at Drake underscore Cummings. Uh, I am also heavily involved uh, with a group called The People's Collective, which you can find on Instagram at the.peoples.collective. Uh, and we are a group of uh, multi-talented individuals who have come together to produce a number of things, including a, an original series, uh, original mockumentary series about uh, starting out in entertainment in L.A. Uh, it's it's funny. It's all based on real events that has actually happened to us in living in Los Angeles and Hollywood specifically, uh, it's going to be dropping on our YouTube page of the people's collective on YouTube starting next Wednesday, which is April the
0: third. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you can check that me. on our YouTube page. Um, awesome. Yeah. And you guys also, uh, released a little, a few like character shorts just to get you get people acquainted to who's going to be in it. All right. so uh they can check those out on your instagram yep. as well um, my
2: instagram or the people's collective instagram they're up on both of those awesome uh we got other things on the channel we got uh movie review reviews uh we're gonna have uh other one-off skit content and game information i'm gonna do this game editorial series where i talk about like th- uh like game design specifics and stuff yeah because uh, my bat- main background is actually in game design okay um and uh Yeah, and then there's there's gonna be you know a couple of a couple other things on there. Check it out, see uh, see if there's anything you like. We also have a podcast that we run every other week uh, on Wednesdays. It's uh, it's the People's Collective podcast
0: on. Apple Music, Podbean, and now Spotify. Nice. Uh, Yeah, Lex and I were on the show last week. It was really fun. We were talking about some game stuff. We were talking about... What else did we talk about? James Gunn. James Gunn. We also did a really fun game where we tried to guess whether uh, a headline for a comic thing was true or false and so that was dope so if you have a chance really check out the people's collective podcast super fun great guys
2: yeah the episode that you guys were on it was the best episode we've done so far I think you guys really helped
0: elevate us uh that's really sweet (laughs) uh lex where can people find you
1: i am on twitter and instagram at the lex michael
0: awesome and you can find me at tari j t-a-u-r-i-j-a-y but more importantly you can find us at missing outcast that's m-i-s-s-i-n-g-o-u-t-c-a-s-t on instagram and twitter uh and you know where to find us in terms of being a podcast because you're already listening to us um but Uh, what you can do if you like listening to this you can leave us a rating it helps bump us up in the charts helps other people find us because as you know the most important and most potent way of advertising is word of mouth so tell your friends leave a rating leave a review let people know that you love what we're doing Uh, And once again, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming, Drake. This was really fun and very, uh, I guess, informative and a little bit sad. (laughs) That's the movie. Um, But, yeah, we will see you next week. Bye. Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wiki Ship Down podcast.
1: We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is peer-editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us.
0: While you're at it, follow us on all social media at WikishipDown. I'm Ruthann.
1: I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts.